passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to On the Bench. This is Brendan Sinone. I've got Joshua Newberg, Chris Nee with me. Fellas, good morning. Happy Friday to both of you. I will direct it to one person at a time as to not make the same mistake as last time. Hi, Josh. How's it going? Hey, Brendan. What's up? Chris, good to see you. Or not see you. Great seeing you, too, Josh. Did you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the last five minutes of pre-recording, I wish we never had done. I just had it on mute the whole time. <laughs> I, I envy you, Christopher. Josh went into like a five-minute diatribe about... I'm glad that we got it out code. before... The pod started. Yeah, now we're talking about it. But this wouldn't be on the bench if it wasn't a little meandering. Well, it would be on the bench with just any podcast I'd be doing because meandering, Brendan. So we have a lot of recruiting stuff to get to today. This wasn't a planned podcast, but the week ended up kind of piling up with recruiting tidbits and, and also one, in my mind, very noteworthy uh, report that we put out yesterday. And I guess we'll start off with that, fellas. Through various sources, and not just myself, but we all have checked in, we were able to put together that Florida State is at least weighing the possibility of having its players return to Tallahassee. Now, I would say about almost half the the active roster right now is already in Tallahassee. It was probably about like 25% at the beginning of, of the spring break, and guys have kind of matriculated to Tallahassee. But it sounds like there's at least conversations happening and I'll throw this to you, Josh, uh, to get your thoughts. But it sounds like there's at least conversations happening about getting the team back into Tallahassee in mid-May. Uh, what's the significance of guys coming in and possibly against alternative in the next couple weeks? Yeah, from what I understand, they're going to try to get everybody to campus around May 15th. Um, for the most part, Brendan, you've been kind of tracking this. Don't you feel like a majority of the team is on campus currently? Or I shouldn't say on campus. Yeah, but. let's clarify the campus part because that's something that we don't know. And this is obviously kind of a tricky waters. Yeah, I don't want to say on campus, but in Tallahassee, I think it's Champions fair to say. Hall is considered off-campus living. Yeah, and not all guys live there, though, too. So, right. uh, yeah, I would say, again, at the beginning of the spring, there were maybe like a dozen guys who we were able to say we knew were staying in, in Tallahassee. Cause remember the basically the campus essentially shut down right around spring break time in mid March. And what happened is a lot of guys went home, some stayed and FSU implemented a policy initially saying, if you leave, uh, basically don't come back. And I don't know how you can enforce that, but that's the policy FSU had regarding it's like residence halls and, and students who are staying on campus. So uh, it has gone up to, I would say about half the roster at this point. I don't think we can put like a, a firm number on it, but yeah, most guys are already there. But Josh, to me, this is a move to, uh, if you can get guys safely into Tallahassee, it's a way to kind of monitor them, making sure they're self quarantining and, and not, uh, put going in groups and essentially what it does is it allows you if football gets back in June, which has been discussed some or some football activities like, like player run practices, things like that. If that does happen, this allows you to have guys around for two weeks, which I think is. The yeah. It sounds that. like they're going to bring them in uh, self quarantine for two weeks. And when June 1st comes around, if nothing changes, because here's the caveat, if anything changes with the governor or um, there's any more restrictions put in place, all of this is kind of out the window and we, we you know, have to follow these new guidelines. But if things stay the course that they are right now and trend in the direction that they have been trending, then it looks like June 1 will be a date that maybe we could um, see 
return to workouts, that sort of thing. So it'll be a good time to get that two week quarantine in of bringing new people into the town, into the city of Tallahassee and be ready to go for June 1st. So we'll see how it all plays out. Um, if, if, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, potentially, I think one thing to add, Josh, is this is all voluntary. Like, they're not, no one's being forced to to come back to, mm-hmm. to school right now. That's that's certainly Correct. not theirs. It's all very tentative. Uh, Chris, tentative. do you want tent, to? Tentative. Tentative. Uh, one of my favorite sayings is it's fluid. And obviously, given what we're dealing with with the pandemic and how more information keeps changing in, in almost every regard, this is tentative. They. Chris, I'll throw it to you. Like, you know that there was the possibility of things opening up, like, even earlier, and that obviously didn't happen, right? Right. There's been discussions before about trying to do things in small steps incrementally. I think they're going to follow the lead of the governor first and foremost, and then President John Thrasher of the university will be the second voice in this, and then Coburn, and then it trickles down to the actual athletic teams. Um, I think the reason we've seen some movement here is dating back to what April 29th, I believe it was, Governor Ron DeSantis decided to unveil phase one of reopening the state. That went into effect on May 4th, the beginning of this week. You know, they're working towards phase two. If there's not a flare up of the cases in the state, deaths in the state, hospitals being overwhelmed in the state, those sort of things that are things that immediately will cause everything to retract and go backwards again. So you're dealing with a timeline that, as you said, is fluid because of the situation being one of those where it's tough to forecast exactly what each step will bring about until you kind of stick your toe in the water and see where it goes from there. But from an FSU perspective, I think they're going to obviously proceed with a great deal of caution in any decisions they make regarding it. You know, the original FSU stance on most things, and they say this from a university standpoint, not so much an athletic standpoint, is no on-campus events or gatherings of more than 10 people between the date they stated this, which was mid to early April and August 2nd. Obviously, that's something that if things start to reopen as a state and they see more progress, I don't think we go back to an in-classroom learning atmosphere until fall, but you may see other things kind of peel back slowly but surely before that set date of August 2nd. And two things to add to that, Chris. So one I'll say is when you mentioned the August 2nd date, uh, the basically FSU put out a release, I think it was sometime last month, in, in mid-April, as you said, I won't read the whole release, but I was talking about events being canceled or postponed. Uh, the policy shall be in effect until August 2nd, 2020. It will be under continual review. Again, fluid. Uh, and and to be fair to Florida State, you know, we reached out for comment. It was run up the ladder to Athletic Director David Coburn. Uh, they're not saying that, that a mid-May return is happening. Uh, in fact, this is what they said. Uh, I'll read his quote here. Our coaches have been outstanding in working through all the challenges presented by the COVID, uh, excuse me, pandemic. Uh, we are all on the same page and that we will take our lead from the governor and President Thrasher concerning the return of our students to Tallahassee and any subsequent ability to open facilities. Our coaches are in contact with our student athletes regarding a variety of scenarios, but no decision has been made. So, and as we reported, like this isn't a set in stone type of deal. It's just a possibility uh, so that they weigh it again. They have talked about early returns. Uh, they have, I can't imagine how many different scenarios that coach Norvell and his staff are running right now about you know, if this happens if this date happens. This is what we would do in terms of workouts and getting guys back on campus and, and play run practices. Like it's, it's all over the place. I did feel like this was worth reporting though, because there was more weight to this than previously. Uh, it was brought to our attention that mid May return was, possible and uh, as actually multiple people brought it up to us and we were able to confirm it with i think about three or four sources so it had more weight than the normal which is why i wanted to to go ahead and and get out before it started going running on message boards and people were running with a, a narrative that it was definitely concretely happening so uh, is there anything else that you guys want to touch on regarding this topic before we move to the recruiting aspect not for me no, no, Josh said something, but his mic was muted. I'm assuming no. All right. I'm good. Okay. Re- recruiting. Uh, I think it's fitting to transition into recruiting because like, this is a little, the talk of even a mid-May return and possible you know, events starting in June, even like a sliver of hope for that is nice to feel some normalcy, right guys? So let's talk about recruiting because recruiting could start maybe opening back up too, although we're not entirely sure on the timeline, but there is a lot of recruiting news. 
Let's start off with a conversation that Mike Norvell had on our social distance, 24-7 sports social distance series. Uh, we had about 10 minutes of, of exclusive content with Coach Norvell. Bud Elliott interviewed him. We did some content off of it. You can check it out on Knowles247.com. Josh, the story that you wrote, and I think was this was probably the biggest news, mm. multiple kids, he said, uh, have wanted to commit to FSU during this, this shutdown. And uh, I'll let you go into more detail. Mm, yeah. As you know, Florida State currently ranks 44th overall in the 24-7 sports team rankings with only five commitments. And there's been some concern from FSU fans expressed via social media, on our message boards. Uh, we've seen it. And, you know, it is a little strange for Florida State to be ranked so low, but these are strange times. Um, that being said, during his social distancing episode, Coach Norvell revealed this, quote, we've had multiple kids that have reached out wanting to commit. Some kids that we've never met before, some kids that we really like, uh, some kids that really like what they hear, but the relationship isn't where I want it to be before we're going to accept that commitment. He went on to say, I want to do it the right way. There are a lot of coaches that will take a commitment and then later on down the road look at possible ways of getting out of things. But we're brand new to Florida State and brand new to building a lot of these relationships. We're getting to know each other, and I want to know exactly who we're bringing into the program. Uh, he said a little bit more about recruiting. You guys can check that out on Knowles 24-7. But, um, yeah, pretty interesting. We've had multiple kids that have reached out wanting to commit. Coach Norvell says that. All right. I got thoughts on it, but I am curious on Chris. Okay, so first of all, I know if you're okay. listening to this, people probably want to know, well, who, who, who? That was going to be that was going to be my thought. That's yeah, what I, was I don't know of anybody, and we've been uh, this this interview was done two days ago, so we've known about this quote. And I did some digging. Um, I wasn't assured of of anyone out there that really tried to commit that maybe they turned down. Not saying that there isn't. I just didn't get any names. Yeah, I, I kind of I had the same thought in my head when I first heard a quote. But the truth is, during the slowdown, I mostly have focused on kids that either had stepped on campus in 2020 and met Mike Norvell and the staff or new offers. That's kind of mm -hmm. been focuses. Man, I'm not spending a lot of time on guys who were offered in January who have never visited. If you haven't been offered since March 12th and you've never visited, I, I don't know how much time I've really devoted to dealing with you because in realism, my realism, I don't expect those kids to commit for the most part. It's like Hunter Washington, for example, we expect Hunter Washington to potentially commit in the next week. And we think FSU will take that commitment, even though he has never visited. But he's a kid that wasn't really on my radar until a week ago when Steve Wiltfong said, you know, I think this kid's going to end up at FSU. Mm -hmm. And the relationship there is Marcus Woodson knew him from Auburn. There's a relationship built. So there is a pre-existing relationship where there's some in-person interaction between a coach and a player, even though it has not happened at Florida State. So I think that's why that is a case where we could see a commitment taken, even though maybe it doesn't fit some of the other parameters that Mike Norvell laid out. But I think more than anything, that quote to me came away, and it correlates to a piece that Bud wrote for 247 this week. There are a boatload of kids committing, and there's going to be a boatload of decommitments. I think FSU is trying to avoid the second part of that. There's always going to be decommitments, but I think FSU is trying to avoid loading up with 20 kids right now who are just holding a spot. You know, if they come out of the gate and struggle, say they're two and two or sub 500 after half the schedule, how much of that class jumps ship and all of a sudden you're recruiting again. And there's relationships that to some degree you're severed or you did not go as all out as you previously had because you had a bird in hand. I think it's more FSU wants to make sure kids that they do lock up, they feel like they very much will have in the boat regardless of the outcome of the play of the season. So that's kind of how I took that quote from Mike Norvell. More than 800 kids are committed in the 21, 2021 class. Normally this time, I think there's about like 250 to 300. Yeah, it, the number... It, it's outstanding. Uh, the number that Bud used for this year, the total commitments, was more than the previous two years at that date. I think it was May 6th, maybe, that had committed combined. So that kind of shows you that a lot of kids are just placeholding. A lot of kids are committing to places they've never seen or offers they've just landed or relationships they just began. And, you know, that might work out in the end. But in a lot of situations, they may upgrade or the school may realize, oh, we took too many kids or the school may actually get out at some point 
and do an in-person evaluation on these kids, a more recent one than the last one they probably did either in January or last spring, and realize, oh, man, he's topped out or he's a kid that doesn't fit what we're trying to accomplish or he definitely doesn't fill the needs that we have and want to cut bait. And that creates icky situations in its own right. So I just think that you got to navigate the waters carefully. It's annoying from a just sitting there waiting, trying to be patient, not having commitment, seeing a lowly ranked class. I understand all that. Hell, I fall in that boat some. There's times where I'm like, man, I'm worried about where this is going to go with the circumstances they're dealing with. But I think that we've learned that Mike Norvell is very much a glass half full kind of guy and a guy who very rarely is caught with his pants down and not having a plan of what to do next and how to go about doing it. So I think if you believe in those two things, you have to allow it to play out. And the fact that he said it and was kind of open about recruiting in the current circumstances, that comment like that, I think it points to very real about the situation they're dealing with and that they're in. So I think that's a positive. Now it's just a matter of they're going to have to show the results when things do open up and it does become time for them to make some moves, lock up some people, and create the class that they want to have and that they believe they can retain in the long term leading up to either an early signing period or next February. You doing all right over there, Newberg? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you see that? I heard okay. it. I saw it. Did you just knock your mic down? <laughs> yeah, but I'm I'm back on. I'm good. Uh, all right. Well, great times. Really professional uh, setup we have here. <laughs> hey, one thing to Chris's point, and then we'll move on to uh, Chris kind of teased it a little bit. Of, of course, he jumped ahead of schedule a little bit, uh, Hunter Washington. But one thing I'll say about Mike Norvell and his approach to this, he said, I think it was back in March, like he was in favor of there not being an early signing period this year. Or at least he said that's something that he was hopeful that the the upper tier powers who the decision makers would explore. So I think that kind of points to him being, if you want to look at this optimistically, FSU not having the commitments that you would want right now. Mm. He seems willing to be patient, which I think shows more his approach to things. This is something that he's had in mind for a while of, of hoping this gets played out and not trying to force things right now. Uh, with that being said, we're feeling pretty optimistic that there's good news around the corner. Steve Wolfong dropped a crystal ball the other day for Hunter Washington, a four-star cornerback from Katy, Texas. And Josh, you uh, you did some digging into this as well and felt confident dropping a crystal ball as well, huh? Yeah, I put in a, a crystal ball for Washington. What's today? Friday? Uh, probably like Tuesday or Wednesday yeah. of this week. And um, Wilfong dropped his crystal ball on Friday. So over the weekend, I made some calls and checked on some things. I wanted to just kind of check on two things. One is he a take? Um, because what we talked about, you know, he hasn't been to campus. We know that he was offered in late January, but hadn't been to campus yet. So, you know, I, I wanted to see where he, he kind of ranked on, on FSU's board and if he was highly sought after. And then second of all, I wanted to find out when he was going to make a decision. Uh, we we've sat on this Destin pays on possible commitment for like five or six weeks now. And I didn't want to, put in a crystal ball right after Wilt falling, if this was going to be another scenario where it, where it drags out. So one, I was told Marcus Woodson has worked with Washington in the past. I assume it was last summer at Auburn. Um, I wasn't told directly where it was or when, but I was told that was the connection and Woodson was vouching for him and, and he was indeed a take. And secondly, I was told that a commitment is, I'm not going to say the exact date, but likely to come probably next week, possibly early in the week. Yeah, sorry, I'm so pulling with, up. Uh, with that, I felt good enough to log a crystal ball for, for uh, Hunter Washington. Yeah, and I jumped in on the fray and logged one myself after a few days. I uh, Yesterday, I believe it was yesterday morning, days feel so long. Um, I tried to get him on the horn. I wanted to talk to him. I'm a big fan of a two-hand slam dunk before I dropped the crystal ball. So I wanted to talk to Hunter Washington before I did that, but he didn't want to do an interview. But I was able to talk to some people that are immediately around him, that know him, that are in constant communication with him. And they told me that, you know, he just doesn't want to do an interview. It's that simple. He doesn't want to do one until he makes his decision. That decision is something we expect in the next week. And, you know, I feel confident it's going to be FSU. I went ahead and logged the Chris Wall despite not talking to Hunter He's just a kid who doesn't want to – he doesn't do a lot of interviews in general, and he doesn't want to do one preeminently leading up to the commitment itself. But as Josh mentioned, this is a Marcus Woodson 
type thing. And this is Norvell entrusting a guy like Woodson and knowing that if Woodson kind of green stamps a kid, you go. It looks like Marcus Woodson would have been involved with an offer that was extended to Hunter Washington in June of 2019. Auburn offered a year ago. So, yeah, he, he clearly was on the radar then. Chris, have you watched have you watched any of his highlights or film yet? I, I haven't. I watched some of him and Bobby Taylor, who's a 2022 teammate there, because um, I was talking to Bobby Taylor in addition to Washington yesterday some. And uh, he's a talented kid. He's a good player. He's kind of guy that Woodson kind of loved at Auburn that you can see at Auburn. He, he replicates some of the guys that he used in that Auburn secondary with the ability to kind of play on the hip, but also be physical if needed and play multiple positions in the back half. All right, let's move on. So hopefully good news coming there for Florida State. That'd be some, some nice momentum after it's been a, a quiet couple of weeks. Josh, you've been entrenched in the Isaiah Walker Chronicles. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to throw this to you because there's about probably two or three minutes that you'll need to recap people on since we haven't talked about on the podcast. But it seems like it's been a pretty active uh, few days for you covering his his entrance into the transfer portal and subsequent recruitment. Yeah, it's been fun. It got me out of my quarantine slumber and it has really um, taken up my last three days. I've written, is it two or three reports? Um I'm not sure, but we've been keeping up with it on Knowles 24-7. So those that haven't heard the big news, on Monday, Florida freshman offensive tackle Isaiah Walker Jr. entered his name into the transfer portal. Um, The move came as a surprise to Gator coaching staff and fan base and really surprised to everybody in the big three. Having made some phone calls and talked to sources all around this thing, um, nobody at Miami, nobody at FSU, nobody at Florida really saw this coming. Um, The timing and reason behind Walker's move, um, it's personal. There's, you know, I'm just going to say that it remains unclear at this point. I don't really have a a good handle on why Walker left Florida at the time that he did, but I know it has to do with some personal reasons. FSU has been looking to upgrade on the offensive line and Walker makes a lot of sense. Just about four months ago, he signed with with Florida in December. And at the time he was one of Florida state's top targets of, of course the Knowles kind of took a big hit when they, when Willie Taggart was fired and the transition to Mike Norvell because Isaiah Walker didn't have a relationship with Mike Norvell or anybody on the, on the current staff really. So Isaiah Walker was an afterthought come December. He signs with Florida. He enrolls in January. He was an early enrollee. He was on, he did get to campus. Um, and went home with everybody during the pandemic in March and on Monday decided it was time to put his name in the portal. So I confirmed early on that there was direct contact between Florida state and Isaiah Walker on, Oh, Wednesday, there was a zoom meeting. There was a zoom call. I believe Ron Dugans was involved. Alex Atkins was involved, Mike Norvell, and also Chuck Canner who came over from UF last year. He's director of player personnel for Florida state. Um, those were the main guys, but really Mike Norvell's, uh, taken the lead on this and has had a lot of communication even outside of the zoom call with Walker, his family and his, his high school coach. Um, all of that being said, I don't I don't really know where where he's going to end up. Um, in my latest report on Thursday evening, I said that it looked like a decision could come this weekend, or I shouldn't say it looks like it. I'm being told that Isaiah Walker on Thursday afternoon kind of shut things down, let all the coaches know that he's going to talk things over with his family. And um, a decision could come by the end of the weekend. I'm not saying it's definitely going to come, but it could. I don't know the other teams involved. Um, Unfortunately, it seems like I'm the only one reporting on this because there hasn't been another confirmation, another report, another rumor about another school. I've been talking with Andrew Ivins of Inside the U, who's on the 24-7 network. And Andrew confirmed that there was um, that there was some contact early on, but he was, he, he wasn't sure exactly where Miami stood. Now we have confirmed that Miami is active with them and, and most likely would take him. Um, I believe there's other teams involved because sources close to the program at FSU tell me that there's other teams 
involved, but they don't know who. And I have not been directly able to confirm any other teams outside of Miami. So I'm not real confident right now with Florida State's chances. If you asked me, and I'm sure you, this is probably on, on the outline, but if you asked me would I take FSU or the field right now, I'd, I'd go with the field. That could change. Today's Friday. Um, I'm going to check in with some sources today, maybe tomorrow, see if anything changes. But as it stands right now, I'm I'm not real confident that he's going to end up picking Florida State. I guess the field implies everyone, right? But we yeah, don't know exactly I just don't know like yeah. who's the front runners. I would think Miami just logically, if you're connecting dots, makes the most sense, especially now what Ivans is reporting that there's yeah. at least interest in Miami's end. To me, it's the timeline, Josh. Like when you look at the fact he enters the transfer portal and is already more or less ready to make a decision within a week. Uh, that would imply to me that there was at least some sort of a preconceived idea. And given that he's from South Florida, given that Miami was in on mm-hmm. his recruitment previously, I think just connecting dots there just makes the most sense. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not like uh, predicting where he's going to pick or anything. When I say, I don't have a lot of confidence. I say that because the people that I talk to around FSU they don't have a lot of confidence. So I'm just kind of conveying the message. I, I I don't know a whole lot. I feel like I'm trying to complete a puzzle here and I don't have all the pieces. Yeah, there's so, something missing. Well, I have been able to kind of report on things and, and, and bring you guys the information. I don't have the, the full picture. I don't feel like I have the full picture to say um, he's going to, you know, he's not picking FSU or he is. I'm just not getting that sort of confidence by uh, the people that I talk to. I'm putting in a FAU crystal ball. Willie Taggart gets his blue chip. Yeah, three. that'd be that'd be great. That'd be funny. All right, let's hopefully let's, that's him in. Uh, I think Chris made a joke, but his reception wasn't great on that one. Try it again, Chris. Nope, can't do it a second. <laughs> Just can't do it. Magic's gone. I was gonna say I hope he unlocks a facility and lets him in, but that's it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're mean. Uh, it was about a year ago. I, when I think uh, of Isaiah Walker, I still think of him sitting on that bench waiting for the door to be unlocked. Like that's the first vision of that kid that pops in my head when I hear his name still. That and the solid flat top here that he's got. We'll direct yeah. you guys to our What Went Wrong with Willie series for that one. Uh, let's go on to for, from one offensive tackle in the transfer portal to another. Josh Jared Williams from Houston. Let's uh, let's provide some actual like substantive news here because uh, you haven't done an update on him in a, at least a few days. When did he enter a portal? Like two weeks ago at this point? Yeah, something like that. I'm not. Yeah, something like that. Two about two weeks ago. So he's a graduate transfer, meaning he only has one year. So when we look at Isaiah Walker, who would have potentially you know three to four years of eligibility after he transferred, we're talking about Jared Williams, who would be transferring from Houston to Florida state and have one year of eligibility. So, and be able um, to play right away, which is a, and be able to play right away. I should have said with Isaiah Walker, we, the reason I said three or four years of eligibility, it's unknown right now. If he's going to get a waiver, I don't know, you know, I don't know enough about that to say, um, with confidence one way or another on his waiver, but moving on to Jared Williams. Yeah. I kind of got caught up with some of the, uh, Isaiah Walker stuff. Uh, if I had more time, I probably would have written something on Jared Walker, this Jared Williams this week. Um, Jared Williams was contacted. I reported uh, two weeks ago that FSU had interest but had not offered yet. I can report now that FSU has still not offered per se, but they are recruiting Williams as if he, he is offered, meaning I've confirmed that they talked with him almost every day, every other day. They've been in regular contact, put it that way. Um Mike Norvell's been talking to him. Alex Atkins has been talking to him. I believe Chris Thompson was involved because Chris recruited him uh, when he was at TCU. I know there was a third coach in there. I can't remember who it was exactly. Anyway, um, there was a call two nights ago. I'm told things are going very well. A Zoom call went down with Mike Norvell and, um, and Williams. I think he could be narrowing things down to a top three this weekend and making a decision shortly after that. I believe Florida State's going to make his top three. Uh, I think it's going to be Florida State, Baylor, and Miami, if I had to guess right now. Um, Where do I think he's going to end up? I think, you know, maybe Baylor because of the way that things go right now. Is he going to 
commit to a school site unseen, meaning Miami or Florida State, uh, with, without taking a visit. Um, we'll, we just got to see how things go. But I'm trying to reach Williams for comment. Haven't been able to get him on the phone, but I'm going to try that again today. Um, but I'll, I'll have something up on Knowles 24-7 as well, if you're listening and haven't read anything on the site. It'll be up today. One thing that I'll add on on Jared Williams, when he first entered the portal and Josh, your initial report was there was kind of a lukewarm, some tepidness from Florida State. So I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't mean it like that. What I was saying was just that they were, they were doing they the They were research. ready to go all in on him. Yeah, right? he, had a, he had an injury. He only played, I think he started four games last season, mm-hmm. incurred a shoulder injury, and he was out for the year. So that was it. Um, the numbers weren't bad. You, you pulled up the PFF numbers. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like his full healthy season as a starter when he had 900 snaps in 2018, 77.4 overall grade. Uh, even if you subtract like 10 points with the jump from group of five to power of five, like that's that would be the highest offensive tackle grade FSU's probably had since yeah. Roger Johnson in 2015. And we always say this about JUCO and transfer recruiting. It, it's a little bit different. It's not exactly like high school recruiting where the, the offer is so formal. Um, in a situation like this, Williams is talking to FSU. He has interest. FSU's picking up the phone. They're calling him. He's answering. That means, you know, the the interest is reciprocal. So whether or not the formal offer has been made yet, I, I think is kind of elementary. I think we'll see this thing play out. Um, there's a bit of a balancing act going on here with Isaiah Walker. I think certainly if you see something transpire over the weekend where Walker decides to go to Miami or stay at Florida or go to, you know, some crazy program like Texas Tech or something, I don't know, then I do think that we see Florida State put more of an emphasis on Williams. But for now, they're sitting in a good spot. I don't think he's making a decision any soon, anytime soon. I think we're going to see that top three before that. And um, if it were to come out today, I, I think FSU makes it. So even though he doesn't have an offer – FSU sitting in a good spot. They're active with him, and he is a candidate to potentially end up at FSU. Do you think it's telling that FSU is being I'm trying to think of the right word? Uh, not cautious, but yeah, no, maybe cautious is the right word with with their remaining roster spots. Yeah, we don't know the exact number of what they'll have, but they are not just throwing out offers to grad transfer guys like Candy right now. Like they're being selective with. I mean, I think you. You have to. We've seen them pass on offensive linemen and, and FSU fans scratch their heads and say, well, you know, this kid's coming from name a small school in America, <laughs> Wofford. How come we're not offering the Wofford kid? Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? Nobody knew Isaiah Walker was going to enter the portal on Monday. Like when everybody went to sleep on Sunday night, knowing what the portal looked like and knowing what FSU's options were. Nobody had any clue that Isaiah Walker was going to find himself in there the following day and FSU now in the middle of it for a kid that they lost out on four months ago and seemingly had no shot at four months ago. So now, you know, he's back in play. So while they do want help, they do need help. You also got to realize that we could continue to see a slow trickle in the portal. So you have to be very sure of the guys that you do pursue. Yeah, you're not just bolstering numbers because you can't just throw them around like Tic Tacs. You can't mm-hmm. throw offers around like Tic Tacs right now. Uh, you have to be be cautious. What's going on with Jake Slaughter, fellas? Uh, he was a commitment that we all liked, maybe didn't love, but but liked and felt like he was solid in a class that doesn't have a whole lot of really high-end offensive centers. That He's certainly one who, who seemed like he had a good floor. And now UF is offered. So I'm curious. He's a kid from Ocala. You guys know Ocala. Gainesville close to each other. That's Gator territory down there. What do we got? Anything on that right now? I mean, it's something to monitor. I don't think it's something to be concerned about at this very moment. He is going to give Florida interest. He is interested in the offer. So I'm not diminishing that by any stretch, but nothing is imminent from what I understand from conversations I had yesterday. Then last night, FSU offered, and here I go jumping ahead on the script, offered Bryson Estes, uh, offensive lineman of a similar body type from Georgia, a kid who was here in March, visited. I think he visited right after Slaughter, actually, in March. They offered him. He's very interested. He told me last night that FSU is definitely one of my top choices after landing the offer. So I think a lot of people thought, oh, man, he's a replacement for Jake Slaughter. No, both of those guys can fit in on this offensive line. Well, both are viewed as centers from a ranking standpoint. 
both are capable of playing the center spot or either guard spot. And in Bryson's case, he can probably also play right tackle and get away with it. So I wouldn't view it as one is replacing the other. But I do think FSU is very aggressive about making sure that if something is going to go sideways, that they know what could be next. But that next can also be in addition to what they're concerned could go sideways. So it's not as simple as one for one. Sometimes it can be, yes, he could replace this guy if you lose this guy, but you can also take both. And I think that's the situation we saw play out with the new offer from UF to Jake Slaughter and FSU's new offer to Bryson Estes. Anything to add to that, Josh? Uh, I'm not as optimistic as Chris. I think that Jake Slaughter is, well, put it this way. I I did some research. I think Florida feels very confident that they're going to flip Jake Slaughter. Um, I think Florida State is a little bit nervous. I do think that the offer to Estes is uh, directly correlates to Slaughter and and what could potentially happen. Um, But like Chris said, I don't think anything occurs imminently from what I understand Slaughter's going to kind of wait till things open back up. Um, he's not going to make a rash decision, but obviously a kid from Ocala, uh, if you read in the swamp 24 seven interview, his dad recently got a job in Gainesville. So there's ties there. Um, grew up rooting for the Gators, all that kind of stuff. He's telling the FSU staff, you know, he's all seminal and I, and, and he is, I mean, he hasn't flipped. He hasn't opened up his commitment. He hasn't changed anything per se, but I do believe that once things open up, um, we could see Slaughter flip to Florida. I have not changed my crystal ball pick because I want to see um, when when the shutdown does end, does Florida try to get him on campus right away? Does Slaughter try to get there right away? Like, how quickly do things escalate with him in Florida? Because I was told that he's not going to make um, a rash decision during the shutdown. Um, this would be something that, you know, happens afterwards. So I'm... I'm holding off on putting the foot pick in. I'm not optimistic that FSU can hold on to him. And I think the Estes offer is directly correlated to the recent developments with Slaughter and UF. All right, Chris, you've been on the new offer beat and it's been a grind. I, I know. <laughs> it's been nonstop. Yeah, they're averaging about three offers per day so far in May. <laughs> so if you can boil it down to like a couple noteworthy ones, I know it's all over the place, dude, 2021, 2022, 2023, uh, but a couple that have stood out in the last week or so since the last time we've had the podcast that you think are noteworthy. You mentioned Estes. I imagine that's that's up there. Yeah, I think any guy in the 21 class that they're offering right now is mm-hmm. worth eye on because they're doing a lot of 22, 23 work because essentially they're living in the spring evaluation period from a virtual sense right now. And that's always a period where you try to get ahead on future classes. But yesterday we saw two linebacker offers, Jackson Hamilton, Prince Cauley. I think some of that is the uncertainty with Dink Jackson. Um, Those are guys that can play outside backer but can also flex to other positions, especially in Jackson Hamilton's case. He's a real good athlete. Uh, We saw him offer to Juco, number one Juco defensive back earlier in the week. Josh wrote about that to John Warren. I think that's just another example of the possibility of an immediate future contributor a kid who can kind of plug and play kind of like miko dodson came in to do this year shamar turner is a defensive end from texas he's a 21 kid he told me that the fsu offer made his top 11 a top 12 i don't think we worry about that one until we see him showing up in tallahassee for a visit and then a couple offensive linemen since the last podcast jacoby jackson rod or guys that we've written about and we talked about rod or a good bit in the offensive tackle conversation with bud I think those are both very important. You're going to see FSU continue to expand the board there. And if I had to pick a younger guy that they offered that kind of caught my attention, I would probably go with the kid from Thomasville. He's a 2023 prospect they offered earlier this week. His name's Adam Hopkins. He's a very talented athlete. He's a kid that he already had Georgia, Georgia Tech. They kind of get those offers in right before the February dead period began. And now you're starting to see him pick up a lot of offers like he would have in the spring. And FSU was one of the first to come calling with an offer. All right, so the last tidbit that we have for recruiting before we take a break and answer some of your guys' questions, I was able to talk to someone who talked to Fabian Lovett's camp. That's the Mississippi State transfer who committed to Florida State last month. So this is, I don't want to say secondhand because it's credible person that's coming through, but it's not directly from Fabian Lovett. And uh, according to this person, his recruitment is still open, and that's, the only information I can get, I feel kind of guilty like putting that out there without knowing more. I can more. confirm that. 
You've heard that from one side. Um, I heard it from FSU sources. I mean, there's no, there's, there's not a, uh, a misunderstanding here. I think the Florida State staff, while we talk to Fabian and he calls it a commitment, um, from what I've gathered, not just with Lovett, but with all transfers in general, um, nothing's guaranteed until they step on campus because they can't sign anything that's binding. There's literally nothing they can do that's binding besides enrolling. So it all started with the transfer portal season, um, TJ Stormont, right? TJ Stormont right. was the top offensive tackle at the time in the portal, he coming out of Colorado State. FSU fans all wanted him. Hell, everybody in the country wanted him. He puts out a big edit that he's going to Purdue, and his commitment is to Purdue, and he shows up at TCU. <laughs> um, and that this is just how the transfer market works. Um, I've done some digging. I'm told that you know FSU is still actively recruiting Fabian Lovett. They understand the game. This is how it's played. And um, just like Jared Williams, you know Jared Williams, if he commits to Miami or if he commits to Florida State, he's still a guy who I'm told his let coaches know, like, yeah, I'm going to commit somewhere, but I'm still listening. And that's kind of these these graduate transfers are making a one year business decision. And I can't blame them. I mean, there's nothing that's binding. So you might as well take <laughs> take a look at all your offers before you go somewhere. That's so, yeah, the Fabian Lovett stuff is fluid. I'm just going to call this podcast fluid. OK, let's take a quick commercial break. Then we'll go rapid fire with a. Man, I thought we only get like five questions in. We got like 15. So I'm going to try to go as fast as possible to get them all in. Uh, we'll be right back after this break. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. All right. Welcome back to On the Bench. We have answers to your questions, hopefully. Before we get to that, one other tidbit that I missed out on in the first half of the show. FSU had a 3.127 GPA in the spring semester. It's what the coaches put out there. We had heard earlier in the day that FSU was doing really well academically when the grades first came out. Uh, so much so, I think there's only like uh, two players who who may have some academic issues, and, and neither of those were huge surprises based on, on previous information. Uh, Essentially, FSU did really well this semester, given a hard set of circumstances with with the spring semester shutting down and going remotely midway midway through the semester. So I do know there are some naysayers who are going to say you know, it's online classes, which is true. Those are probably a little bit easier. And also uh, the ability to take a class pass fail probably helps out a little bit, too. If guys had some some fringe grades, uh, you can go ahead and do pass fail. And that doesn't affect the GPA one way or the other, from my understanding. However, the the bottom line is that guys are passing classes. Guys are doing what they're supposed to do. We had talked about way back in, in March when this first started. I think Josh and Bud may have both discussed it on separate podcasts about the academics, you know, from being away from home possibly being an issue or being away from university possibly being an issue. Sorry. Uh, that doesn't seem to have been a problem. So that's really encouraging to me. That shows buy-in. That's noteworthy. All right. So now that I got that out of the way, let's go to the questions. Bluma246 asks, with the whole idea of athletes coming back to campus sooner than thought, now do you think summer camps are going to happen? Christopher, 
No, I don't. I I think June's a wash at this point. One, you're in a small window of getting kids actually signed up and doing it. Two, there's the FSU edict of no on-campus gatherings of so many and more. So camps wouldn't really work with that. So I don't think we see anything in June. The calendar works out where like June 22nd and July 22nd is dead, roughly those dates. That last week of July is open and August is dead. That's how it currently is set up. So if that holds, maybe that last week in July, you have a shot of having some kind of exclusive event if suddenly they allow gatherings of X amount of people. But as of right now, there's no reason to believe that's happening. Okay, Bluma246. I think, uh, I I mean, no, I want to weigh in on this, Brendan. Well, you should have done it two seconds earlier. June's a wash, like Chris said. And if we do see something in July, I think it'll be a sparse crowd. I don't think families and recruits are going to just be traveling all willy nilly like they used to. So I think if we do see something in July, it'll be an abbreviated kind of camp. Okay. That makes sense. Bluma two, four, six asks rough estimate on number of recruits in 2021 class. Get this Josh, question every, every single time. Every single time. Every that's single why, time that's why I threw question. it to you. I, knew I don't know. I mean, I would just bank on 25. I would just consider like, it's going to be around 25, give or take one or two. I mean, FSU has five commitments right now. Like I'm not going to get into number crunching just yet. Yeah. I mean, it depends also on how many transfers they take with multiple years of eligibility. Right. So it's a moving number. It's, it's it fluid. Yeah, but I, just, I just expect it to be a damn near full class. But if they end up taking five transfers that are multi-year guys, that probably exactly. narrows the class by about five. So it's more like 20 right. than five. But I expect it to be pretty much a full class. What if I said the over-under on 22? Oh. I would probably take that number and push on it. I would hold on 22. I want to go over-under. That's not the – okay, never mind. This is. I know that's not how it works, but I feel like that's a great number. Thank you. That's why I said You're it. Carrie T. Noel asks, given the fact that we missed out on all of spring ball and with a brand new offense inbound, the quarterbacks should all have a clean slate and even playing field. You haven't asked a question yet, Carrie. Do you think that here it is? Do you think there's a chance Chubba Purdy or Tate Rodemaker could be QB1 by the end of the upcoming mm. season? End of by the upcoming the season? Yeah, there's anything there's a could chance. happen by the end of this season. There's a chance. <laughs> For sure. I don't think uh, people expecting Purdy to come in and be the savior from day one. I think that's unrealistic. I think Tate Rotomaker looks to me more like a developmental prospect in terms of needing to add more weight and, and get bigger. Uh, seems like he has a football IQ and the accuracy, but needs to add more weight and velocity to his throws. Uh, I, I, James Blackman's QB1 right now. Like He's a starter. That, that's that's going to go into the season whenever the season starts that way. I would wholeheartedly take a bet of one of the other quarterbacks playing by the end of the year. No playing. Sure. Do you think that means starting? Do you think it's like a situational? Do you think it's garbage time? And what playing look like to you, Chris? I don't have a belief system in James Blackman in a new system until James Blackman goes and does it. So with that in mind, I kind of feel like they're all on an even playing field outside the fact that Blackman's obviously an experienced college athlete. Well, one of the guys has a few spring practices and the other guys coming in late. But I also think those two guys were recruited by guys running this team and that this year isn't about, you know, I I think they're going to play for the future, unlike the last staff did early on. And I think if Blackman's not working, they pulled a plug pretty early and they're willing to go with another guy. I would add that in the social distance stuff we did today, there's a quote about the amount of install being done virtually. I think that's a very interesting quote. I think it pertains very much to the quarterback situation. There's also a part where him and Bud spoke about what he looks for in high school film, basically what quarterback position as it evolves, you know, they used to look at certain things. Now they look at different things. He's very complimentary of what they believe they got in Tate and Chubba in that quote. So I, I definitely think there's an excellent chance and I, I would go with Chubba Purdy personally. I think he's the next quarterback for FSU. I, I do think if there is one or the other, and I guess we haven't seen Chubba in person yet, but just given the athletic profile, that gives him an edge uh, based on what, what Mike Norvell is like to do with guys who can mm-hmm. move around a little bit in the pocket. Not saying elite runners, but uh, he likes to move the pocket with his quarterbacks quite a bit. All right, Lieutenant Dan Taylor asks, can you guys discuss on how the lack of spring football will challenge the normal grad transfer market after the spring semester? I'm assuming there will be less grad transfers than usual since coaches can claim there's still an open competition. That That's an yes. interesting That's an interesting thought. Yeah, I, I think yeah, it's safe to say. So- we're going to see where I answered this on the message board. He he posted in a different thread, but um, we're not going to see the post spring bump. We'll just con- continue to see a slow trickle of guys going into the transfer portal, similar to what we're seeing now. 
Um, but yeah, we're, we're not going to see that like post spring bump where guys see the depth chart and maybe the writings on the wall or whatever, uh, that just didn't happen this year. So yeah, it's going to be different. Okay. Willie D's asks, can you please describe what color pattern Josh's Baja is? What's a Baja? I don't know. Hopefully it's not a bad thing and I'm getting to get us in trouble. We'll have to, Chris, can you, can you look up Baja right now for me, please? No, man, I'm on the home network. <laughs> That would not be the worst thing that if anyone did some digging on your home network, I'm sure. TB3Golf714 asks, do you see Laughlin committing to UVA as one of those securing a spot commitments? Who's Laughlin, uh, guys? Help me he, out. Uh, he committed there as a defensive lineman, which I found interesting because I think most schools liked him as a potential offensive tackle developing from the tight end position. Um, I read the Q&A that Jamie Oaks from 247 did with him. I think he really liked UVA. I think UVA appeals to him both academically and athletically, and he hit it off with that staff. To some degree, yeah, he is placeholding, but I think that it has a little bit more value than just I'm taking a spot because they're willing to take me right now. I He, he kind of went with that commitment because he compared a few places and really, really liked what UVA offered. But at the same time, yeah, he is placeholding to a certain degree. But the Q&A that he did with Oaks at Oaks ran, I believe, this morning or last night, it's pretty good. It's pretty insightful. And I, I found the defensive lineman portion the most interesting thing because I always viewed Laughlin as a future offensive tackle. That's probably because I cover a school that's start for an offensive tackle. Tampa Knoll asks, can you compare Norvell's situation this year with Mullen's first year in Gainesville? Mullen started with a good started with good coaching and overperforming and is now starting maybe to see recruiting come around. Is this going to have to be our model and how realistic is it? Uh, two things real quick, guys. I get your thoughts on it. One, Mullen had experience at Florida as a coordinator before, and he was a coach in the SEC. That's a huge advantage compared to Mike Norvell, who's coming from Memphis. I butted mentioned this in the last podcast when we were all together. I think right now a lot of regional, or at least guys in Florida, don't have a great idea of Norvell's history. And so there's more of a wait and see kind of approach. Is that fair? Definitely. Yeah. Go ahead, Josh. I mean, I think it's hard to come. I'm not exactly sure what we're supposed to compare because Mike Norvell has been on the job for like three or four months compared to Dan Mullen for three years. So, yeah, of course, Florida State's going to have to do it the same way that Florida did with good coaching that's going to follow up recruiting. Because as we see now, recruiting is not elite. Uh, the, the results just aren't there. Not not in, not Mike, Mike Norvell's fault, just the way things are. So, yes, they're going to have to coach better. They're going to have to develop their guys. And then the recruiting is going to come along. You're not going to. You're not going to get there without the recruiting, but the recruiting might lag a little bit behind some of the success of the program. Yeah, two things. I think I agree with the premise that coaching is going to help recruiting. I think that's going to be the situation for Norvell and his staff. I think the coaching is an upgrade from what they had here previously. Now, the roster is not great in my view, but I do think they're going to maximize it to the best of their ability. And the other thing with regards to the recruiting, I, I you know, we you brought it up, Sinone. This staff isn't super well-known in the Sunshine State to the degree of others they're competing against. So for them, it was going to be get kids in front of them, especially during the spring practices, and let them kind of absorb what's happening in front of their faces, and that all got washed out. That, again, the social distance series, how have they altered recruiting during this time? Norvell kind of talked about that in there, about how March and April was going to be so big for them with getting kids in front of them kids that they had begun to build relationships with getting them in front of them. So they kind of were able to develop some of their own thoughts instead of simply what they're being fed by the coach and recruiting and that got washed. So I and, and started Chris to see them coach too, is what he said. I thought right. that was maybe the most insightful thing he said in the entire thing was acknowledging them seeing us coach is a huge deal. Yeah, they get it. Here's part of quote. They get an understanding of who we are, but they want to get a chance to see how, see how we execute and how we operate. Practice was going to be a big part of that. So, yeah. All right. Uh, I guess we kind of answered the question there, Tampa Noel. Like, there's some comparisons where coaching is going to matter, but but I don't think Norvell's starting on the same platform as Mullen is in terms of Definitely. his of him being known. And obviously, you have pandemic. Like this, this is it's tough to project out from that. AVFO3 asks, how does FSU get the edge during these times where other programs are maybe standing still? I, I will say that. Norvell is extremely organized. He seems to have a plan and answer for everything. In that regard, I feel like FSU has been very, very fortunate to have Coach Norvell on board. When you're talking about long-term infrastructure and building a, a baseline, it's maybe not helping out with recruiting right now. I think the results would speak to that. But in terms of him 
making sure guys are staying in shape. I've heard different reports on on players who've added positive weight still, even not being around a, a functioning gym. Like it seems like guys are committed. You see the guys uh, doing the spree training with Coach Corndog, and that's about a a dozen players or so who you know are getting good hand on, hands on coaching and, and conditioning. The GPA we talked about. So there's things that Norvell's doing. I don't know how much different it is than other places across the country, but there is a baseline of, of functionality and of competency that he's giving this program that that frankly hasn't been around in about five years. I think from a recruiting perspective, it comes down to them doing really good evaluations and mining some talent, finding some kids that they'll be early on and that will put them in an advantage situation despite the lack of ability to get a visit so i think that's important i think the other thing is they've been intelligent with pursuing top tier high class kids that they love and really want but they may not get but also having an idea of who's next for them on the agenda if they were to miss on such a kid i think they've been intelligent in their approach with that and i think that's important for when the floodgates do open visits start happening flips start happening decommitments start happening i feel like they're organized to navigate those waters I agree. I think it'll be kind of refreshing when it all happens, Chris. I think they'll be in a pretty decent position. This is more about being patient. And, and yeah. So Philip S. Goodman asks, let's talk attrition. How many guys could possibly depart the program this summer? And is the staff considering any possible grad transfers? Yes to the grad transfers, Phil. Uh, numbers for attrition. I mean, I think we've all assumed there's going to be attrition just when you have a new coaching staff. That yeah, there could be two or three happen. guys. We've, uh, we've talked about this before. And frankly, like we don't know how the – not having a spring really impacts guys. I mean, even, even academically, like if someone's having issues, uh, I, my understanding is like FSU has a forgiveness policy right now during the, during the pandemic, during a very unconventional method of, of academics. So like their guys aren't getting run off for grades right now. Like that's not happening. And, and the ability to evaluate for players to evaluate this coaching staff and vice versa really didn't happen on the field in the spring. So it's impossible to say like when it's going to happen. I just, I don't know, but yeah, probably a couple guys. And on a slow leave. day, me and Sinone should sit down and look at the roster over the last five years and look at the amount of attrition off of it from like the spring roster to the season. Damn. That's a really good idea, Chris. We'll do that. That could be like a, we could just record that and make that a podcast as we go on and do that and make it uncensored and talk about guys who we thought were not very helpful to the roster. Probably entertaining. SB Taylor asks, are there any plans for honey fried chicken interview, white meat or dark meat, organic or no, marination time, is the honey locally sourced, what type of honey is it, is there concern about murder hornets wiping out the bee population and affecting the product of honey fried chicken? I mean, that seems legitimate, the last one. There have been a few pieces that other publications have done on the honey fried chicken that have been so adept. Like I legitimately like it's a fun story. I don't think I can cover the ground any better than than what Warchant did a few years ago or the Athletic did recently. So yeah, uh, no, no, no plans to write about honey fried chicken right now. Sampling some of it though, if needed. I got some on my very first week on the beat in 2013. The old SID brought in crab legs and honey fried chicken that were left from the from dinner that night and he brought it into myself and Paul Latimer who worked for war chant. We were staying, we were the only two left working. That's when I used to stay late and work every single, every single night. And, uh, we got honey fried chicken in my mind. I'm like, this is great. Like we're and it's delicious. So I'm thinking we're going to get this like every single week. Like this is red carpet treatment. I don't, I don't think I've gotten a, a snack from, from FSU other than game days uh, since then, but I'm not complaining. <laughs> Neville Stunnell asks. I'm not complaining. It was just. It was. Uh, I'm not. Can we can we dive into the DB board and where it sits as of now? More specifically, who are they targeting at cornerback? Uh, real quick, guys. We're almost done with this, but if you want to get into that real quick, go ahead, Chris. Oh, thanks, Josh. I appreciate appreciate you passing that off. And Josh is not paying. We've, we're losing. We've lost Josh. It happened about <laughs> ten minutes ago. He's doing that Baja stuff, whatever it is. <laughs> no, uh, don't say Baja. We don't know what it is. I mean, Hunter Washington's obviously a name to know, a guy that we know they like, they want, and they may get here in the near future. We saw him just offer to Juco Dejon Warren. Uh, there's guys from Alabama like Kamari Lasseter and Cameron Grays. They're in pretty good spots with both of those guys. I would say Grays is probably a little bit closer to possibly making a decision out of those two. They've got some of the under-the-radar types, like an Iman Hill is a guy that they offered that they were real early on. A uh, guy who I want to find out more about right now is Corey Collier. I'm not real sure where his recruiting stands. You know, he's crushing on Clemson a while back, but I don't think he's a take for the Tigers right now. I don't know how that shakes things up. 
then obviously there's the locals like Amari Harvey, uh, Terry and Arnold. Those are two guys that FSU is going to be in it till the end with both of them. And one other name I would throw in there is probably Jordan Gilbert. He's a kid that's going to narrow his list this weekend. He likes FSU. He's interested in visiting. I feel like they're going to make that narrowed list, but he has a lot of high-end options, so I'm not sure. I'm interested to see if they make the cut. And uh, the last name I'll throw out is Chase Hatley, a kid they offered in North Carolina about a week or two ago. But he's kind of a versatile type who might actually be a linebacker. But he kind of fits that role of the thumping safety that they like, too. So I'm, I'm, I've talked to him some. He's interested. FSU was one of his bigger offers. But, of course, right on the heels of FSU offering, Oklahoma offered. So he's a kid that's going to see an escalation in his recruitment. Initial Google makes it seem like a Baja is like a hearing device type of type of deal, like a hearing implant. That, that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense in this context. Bluma246 asks, Michael Trigg seems to be a home run hit at tight end. If we do land him, is there a reason there aren't more top schools necessarily making him a big priority? He is explosive tight end in the class. IMO. Chris, you have a crystal ball for him. You were the first one. There have been a couple more since then. I don't know how legitimate those are compared to to yours, but, I mean, Auburn's involved, right? Like, that's a big-time program. Yeah, FSU and Auburn are probably truthfully the top two in that recruitment right now. Um, he'll get more. I think he's a kid that spring would have been good for him with schools coming and checking him out and realizing, holy hell, he can he can move, he can bounce. He's a, he's a basketball kid who's an excellent football player. Um, and that translates very well to that position. I think he's awesome. I think he's of the tight ends they've offered on their board. I think he's the best of the bunch. All right, guys, there's some other questions left, but we're there's like five more left and we're past an hour here. So I think we're going to wrap it up. Are we okay with that? We can do this. All right, I mean, Chris, you're, you're, you're enjoying suck yourself. Up, Did you just swear? No, I said suck it up, buttercup. Oh, okay. Kind of broke up, and I heard something else that rhymed with uck. Uh, Death to Gators, five most likely players you think will not be on the game one roster for one. I can't. I mean. No, I'm not touching that one. We talked about attrition. I'm not going to. I've talked on the message board briefly about a couple guys who I think are the most likely to not be on the roster, but I'm not going to keep poking. I think we talk about it every week. We can't fire the guys. Like we can, we can tell you it's the same group of names that we say every week. We can't by asking us, we can't get them off the roster sooner. I think there's something to this. Go ahead, Chris. Mike Arnold needs to get in better shape. We need to figure out who and what Mark Chapman is for FSU. We've talked about those two. Anthony Grant's a guy who obviously has odd circumstances kind of surrounding the recency of his career at FSU. Meadows and Armstrong. Yeah, Meadows, you know, is a guy who's had continued shoulder issues, and Armstrong's a kid who's not actually currently on the roster. But But is at FSU? Potentially return because he is at FSU. Those are the ones. Those are what you monitor. I don't know who stays, who goes for sure. But those are the names when I think about on this roster. Potentially go, those are the most likely, yeah. But I'm not, yeah. like Josh said, we can't fire them. Guys, I just saw there's a bird's nest outside my window, and there's little birds in oh, it. Jesus, we lost Josh. Come right? on, come on. I just they're so back. cute. Now we got <laughs> Nature Watcher Sinone showing up. Uh, the hawks are no longer doing it, but they are, like, they have babies well, now. They're fledglings. always watching them. You know, don't do it right outside my house, then. Um, I like how we went. Chris says he's not going to do it. And then listed like in a roundabout way, like five or six guys. <laughs> it's the same guys though, that we've been talking. About. I, I do think there is a level of anxiety from the fan base projecting itself here uh, in wanting attrition. So it could open up room for new guys, but like us talking about it over yeah. and over, it's probably not going to make it happen any faster. And again, there's, there's... always work out. Yeah. Always. always. Well, Leonard Hamilton likes to say, don't, don't worry about my numbers. I'll I'll worry about my numbers. And I think say it's which coach told me, and they're no longer coaching, and it was many, many moons ago. But they once said, if I need a spot on my roster, we have a shed. <laughs> so that's all I'm gonna say. They can always make room if they need to make room. Lincoln Tonk, Lincoln Tonic. Hey, has the staff had any contact with O line Kenneth Bannister from New Orleans or Diego Pounds from North Carolina? They both have good film, and I figured Coach Jack or Andor Coach Atkins would have some knowledge of them, obviously, from their last jobs and recruiting ties to those areas. I haven't heard of either of those guys. Are you familiar with them, fellas? No. I know Diego Pounds is, because who doesn't? That's such a great name. It is. But I don't know about FSU and interest with them. I, I will check on it. It's a cardinal, guys. There's a cardinal. I just saw the, the father go into the nest. Oh, no, Bur- you can do 
You're almost Perfect. there. The finish line is in sight. You're around that last corner. Just keep going. Keep a steady pace. And Chris's internet slowly going too. This is going to be a dangerous finish. I'm, Burt Reynolds no, burner. No, no, it sucks. It sucks. It's awful. Your volume's much better than usual, though, I think. How do you guys think the remaining spring practice will be reallocated? And how do you think it can help a true freshman take over some key positions, such as offensive line or QB? Uh, the first part, I think one plan that we've heard fairly frequently is like what, 15 spring practices are what you're given. Uh, you just subtract the amount of practice you've already had from that and then turn it into like rolling mini camps once players are allowed to be on campus. Yeah. And- I think all that depends. I mean, who knows if, if it opens up three weeks before the season's supposed to start and they scrap spring practice. Well, there goes the spring practice. I don't think yeah. that's guaranteed to happen. The recommendation has been a six week run up to the season. I don't think that's six weeks of practice. I think it's six weeks of preparation. Um, I think spring's going to kind of be rolled into that. I don't think we're going to see a uniform decision made on spring. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Uh, last question. Oh, there isn't, isn't a last question. Last question is to comment. We're done. We made it. How'd you guys feel about this podcast? Exhausting. You like how I, Josh, I told you on the phone this morning, no, 25, 30 minutes in and out. Yeah, I think that's where you lost me. You guaranteed me 25 to 30 minutes. In all fairness, you know, if I give you a time, you double it. That's I dumped you. all my information out, and then you made me sit on the podcast for another 30 minutes it was, after it was, I gave it all up. <laughs> it was a weird podcast. I felt it was very segmented based on the information you had and Chris had for topics. It was very one or the other. Uh, but, you know, they're all they're not all going to be super fluid. I'm not apologizing for this. Yes, all right. All right. For Josh Newberg and Christopher D, I'm Brendan Sinone. This has been another episode of On the Bench. Josh, real quick, you want to give them a, uh, a request for five-star reviews? They seem to respond better to you doing it than, than me for some reason. Not yeah, likable. we love it. Uh, we appreciate you guys for listening. So if you could go to iTunes or Google Play or wherever you listen to your podcast, give us a five-star review um, and also leave a couple comments. Thank you. All right. And no more Safed Dean on the podcast ever again, we promise. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a good, safe weekend. I'm going to go watch some birds. Chapman, welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.